Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we sit down with co-founder and CEO of Spornado, Christine White. In this informative conversation, Christine explains how Spornado's early detection device helps farmers better protect their crops from the threats that plague them. She also enlightens us on her experience being part of an exciting ground floor operation. Sit back and enjoy the show. So I see you have your uh, fancy coffee, heated coffee mug handy there. So let's do a virtual cheers to get ourselves cheers. going. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> I just have a regular old coffee mug. Uh, I think 80% of my conversations start with coffee. Uh, <laughs> and this one's not going to be any different because you have this fancy space age, technically advanced coffee mug that keeps your coffee heated to approximately what temperature again? I like 140 degrees for my coffee, okay. uh, a little cooler for my tea. I can set on an app on my phone, the temperature that you want your beverage to be kept at. Oh, this, I absolutely love this thing. This <laughs> is, this is amazing because what, what my technique is, I have a Contigo mug, right? And I have the lid. I keep the lid on top of it just to keep it warm. And, but it consistently slowly loses heat, of course, as it does. And so I can't keep it consistent. And, and as you could probably attest to, uh, coffee changes its, its flavor profile from, from hot, warm to cold, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And one of the nice things is, is you don't have a lid. So you really get all the aromas, which is such a huge part of coffee. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. I don't really like drinking it with lids. <laughs> ah, I love it. I love it. I started having it's early... That's great. No, I mean, listen, uh, I was having early conversations with people in the past about coffee as I started to go down this, uh, you know, avenue of becoming a bit of a snob myself. And I was, I was telling people like, listen, it tastes different if it's in a ceramic mug or if it's in a tin, right. And people would look at me like I was a lunatic. And I was like, I'm serious, man. This, this is different tasting stuff. So listen, you are, and this is a, a great way to segue. You are an environmental scientist which means that you have way more credentials on things than I do. I'm going to use you as my uh, springboard to say, see, listen, smarter people than me know about coffee. Okay. So start listening. <laughs> so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, now I've got some, uh, now I've got some ammunition on my coffee journeys. Um, but we're not here today to talk about coffee. Uh, we are here today to talk to you about a, an amazing startup that, that you have going. You're a CEO, co-founder of Spornado, which is an early warning detection system for fungi and potatoes and tomato growing, amongst other things. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Yeah, we can detect virtually any fungal pathogen that causes disease in farmers' crops. It's phenomenal to me to be reading about this stuff because I, it's not really you know, it's not in my purview. It's not something I'm, I'm aware of. I know that it's important and you hear about crops getting, you know, hit with disease and how that affects everybody, uh, you know, the people that work on it, of course, and then the people that consume it, which is everybody. Uh, so it's really cool to hear about that. And I'm, I want to get more into that with you, but before we get there, I want to know, how did you, where did you come from? Because you didn't just walk out of school and, and start this startup. So Give me a little bit of your background, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, um, no, not at all. Um, I had no experience in ag uh, until we founded this startup. My background actually had been in looking at fungi in the indoor environment. So for many years, I worked um, for environmental engineering firms, among other things, doing indoor air quality assessments in buildings, often that were impacted by mold, um, figuring out what was going on, how to fix the problem for the occupants. Part of that involved a lot of sampling, a lot of air sampling, surface sampling, et cetera. And when I decided that it was time to move on from consulting, I joined the laboratory that I'd always used. I started working at the microbiology laboratory that provides analysis for other um, environmental professionals. And that's where I met my co-founders. Interesting. So is that, is that generally an, uh, an option for people who are in your position that are, are you know, doing these air quality assessments and, and fungi and mold uh, asbestos, I believe you had mentioned uh, before uh, inside places to go into a lab? a bit unusual, I think, probably, but I had always been interested in the cutting edge of the industry, of where it was going next. I was always interested in the research um, part of it and furthering the industry. And uh, the laboratory that um, I moved to was, you know, really key in those areas. So it's very cool because it sounds like to me it's two completely different worlds. And I heard this term when I was, you know, speaking to a prior guest on the show, which is also your uh, co-founder and uh, and partner in business, Mike. And you know, I heard the ag tech, ag tech, and I'm like, what the heck is this? So I started reading all sorts of different terms, ag tech, and 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 obviously that's ag agricultural technologies. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it's kind of an all-encompassing term that, you know, describes anything that's furthering innovation in agriculture. So how much different of an approach is it to go from the, the indoor assessments and that process to ag tech? You know, I mean, there's a lot of differences, but there's that core similarity that, you know, you're taking a sample of air and you're looking at what's in it to try to determine if there's any issues, you know, indoor and outdoor, exact same. So um, to be honest, uh, we were shocked that this was not being done routinely in agriculture. We really were because people have been uh, sampling the indoor environment for decades, you know, to help diagnose the issues. You move over to agriculture and we realize that they're not doing it. Farmers don't have this information. They don't know what's going on in the air until they see the disease on their plants. And it's way too late with fungicides. The thing with fungicides is they have to be used preventatively to really uh, be effective. So we, we, we were shocked to find that there wasn't really inexpensive, easy way for farmers to get this information to diagnose their problems in the field before disease struck. So we ended up coming up with a solution. It's very cool because when I was reading on your site and I was reading some different uh, things on the net about uh, Spornado, which is an awesome name, by the way. And I, I want to <laughs> pick your brain as to who came up with that one and how that one came about. Uh, but there was this disconnect. It sounded like, uh, like you said, there was, there was no real presence of the early warning detection systems for disease, but you used an important word there, which was affordable. 
I have to imagine that there was probably some really expensive, convoluted tech that was out there before, but now you guys have come along with a, maybe this is advancement in technology itself, but a, a, a more affordable, a more user-friendly perhaps uh, system for farmers to be able to use. Is yeah, that, yeah. Does that incite farmers to want to use it more? Because I mean, I know some farmers, that's a heck of a job, man. Like I don't, I couldn't do it on a regular basis. So to undertake some giant piece of technology that would potentially help you uh, and then weighing that against the cost, but you come in with a more affordable option. How did you guys come up with a system that would be affordable and, and what was that process like? Yeah, what was on the market um, was very cumbersome, expensive units that researchers used. Um, so this has been done for many, many years, but only by researchers primarily, because the units were tens of thousands of dollars. The analysis was very, very expensive. We do DNA analysis. And, and But how this all came about is actually, it was one of those, you know, friend of a friend calls that you get at the office. Somebody called and said, you know, I'm looking for an easy to use inexpensive air samplers farmers can use outdoors. And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, I, I thought, no problem. I'll call my suppliers. You know, we've been doing it in indoors for years. There must be something. And then when we started doing research, we found there wasn't one. And so with that first contact, it was actually a large agrochemical company. We worked out with them. They, we said, hey, you know, there isn't one, but we can develop one for you. Uh, we have lots of connections in, you know, at the University of Toronto with engineers um, and different people. We can develop one and um, find the solution. So of course, you know, they didn't want to pay the whole development costs. So the suggestion was made, you keep the IP and it was probably the best advice we ever got. So, and then that's what we did. That's interesting. So what does that, explain that a little bit to me. What does that mean when they say keep the IP? What, how does that work? How does that break down? Yeah. So the intellectual property. So while we developed it for their project, we kept the intellectual property so we could patent it ourselves, which we've done. We have filed patents worldwide on this. And That makes a lot of sense. It's, it's that ownership, right? That that's so important was your experience with the indoor sampling and the indoor um, processing, was that an aid at all in developing Spornado? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, it's, it's the fundamental collection of mold spores, identifying them somehow, and taking that, and the very important piece is taking that and interpreting it, you know? There's no easy answer. I can't tell you, I can't take a sample of your office there and say, okay, 10 spores of this is bad. You know, 20 spores is that this is okay. You have to look at the whole indoor environment. You know, you have to look for evidence of issues. Um, the same goes for outdoors, you know, with some exception, you know, just knowing if the spores are there isn't enough. You have to know, okay, um, is my crop susceptible? Do I have a variety that's not resistant? What are the weather conditions like? Mold is very, very dependent on the conditions it grows in. So um, what they call it is the disease triangle. So you have the environment, you have the host, which is your crop, and then you have the disease. So for years, the farmers only had those two pieces of the disease triangle, and now they have the disease. So now they have the full picture, and then they can make a, a better decision on when to use chemicals. 
That's uh, that's really cool. So when you say that they have the disease, it means that you guys have a, have detected what yeah. the actual disease is. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So then I guess it's safe to say that not all spores and not all fungi, uh, fungi are created equal in terms of what disease it carries. What disease it causes. Absolutely. What disease it causes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very, yeah. very fascinating. Yeah. The, because, you know, I have, I've had experience with rental properties and of oh. course with that comes sometimes mold mildew issues. And I'm still kind of wrapping my head around that sometimes, because as soon as you see something, you know, something, something that shouldn't be there, I automatically panic. And I think, oh my God, we got to rip out walls. We've got to close off rooms. We've got to do all that kind of stuff. Is that something that you should be paying attention to? Like we're, we're flipping to the indoors for a second. Is that something that you have to panic and start scrubbing everything? Or is there something that you're looking for in the indoors that uh, that is more of a warning than just having something that shouldn't be there? Well, similar to the outdoors, you have to look at the environment. So for instance, if you had a bit of mold in your basement, you know, in your storage room, is that going to cause panic? No. It, it, are you going to be a little more concerned if, you know, the, the, the wall beside your bed underneath the window is moldy and you're spending eight hours, hopefully, a night sleeping in that bed beside that mold? You're going to be a lot more concerned about that. And then you have to look at the host, not a plant in this case, but a person. Are you susceptible? Do you have asthma? You know, do you have any immune issues? Uh, if you did, you would be more concerned. So very, so see what I mean? It's very similar. You know, there's a lot of factors that you have to look at. Unfortunately, it's not a straight yes or no answer. Um, it's looking at the big picture and sampling really helps because for instance, the example you gave, we could go in, take a physical sample of that mold, look at it under the microscope and see what kind it is. Uh, see if it's one that has elevated concern because it's known to be toxinogenic, for example. Yeah. So very similar. So fascinating to me that something that is so common that we see all over the place and even consume in the forms of mushrooms and stuff like that is, is so multifaceted. Um, let's get back to the plants because that's, that's the reason why, you know, Spornado was, was born. Um, you are, you guys are focusing on mainly potatoes and tomato crops, but you are looking to expand that into wheats and soy, um, grains and all of that. How different are the diseases that are caused with potatoes and tomatoes? And why did you start with potatoes and tomatoes versus the other things that you guys are looking to be able to detect as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. That initial uh, project that we started with was for late blight and potato. Um, and you might have even have heard of late blight. It caused the Irish potato famine back okay. in the mid 1800s, which was the worst famine in Europe in the 19th century. Um, for four years, late blight wiped out almost the entire crop of potatoes in Ireland. Uh, it caused th the death of a million people and immigration of uh, another million leaving Ireland. So, you know, it's, it's that disease that we got our start with because it still is an issue. All these years later, we farmers are still battling late blight. I read a statistic that 7% of the pesticides used in Europe are to fight uh, late blight. Uh, so it's an incredible problem. Um, it costs farmers $7 billion globally a year. So it's an obvious first start 
in this product because it's such a devastating disease and it's a disease that once it hits it's extremely hard to deal with and the fungicides that they use to fight it are extremely expensive so farmers really want the information to know when the disease is in the air so they know well before it hits their crop and so then they know when to spray the cool thing about what you what you have on your site and what you were talking about earlier, alluded to earlier, is the the use of the pesticides. And this was one of the things that I was thinking about as as I was doing some research on you, is that pesticides. We we know that there's a, a school of thought out there that pesticides are all evil. I I don't know enough about them, and I don't really believe that. To be honest with you, I think that they're necessary uh, in some way, shape, or form. But the early detection system you have with Spornado actually gives you an opportunity to more isolate where to use the pesticides. Is that something that was uh, was the design to be able to keep affordability for farmers intact when it comes to the amount of, that they're spending on pesticides a year? Absolutely, absolutely. Are we going to cut all use out? Probably not. But when they use them, they can one, choose the best pesticide for the disease that they're battling. And two, they can use it more effectively. You know, right now they are, are spraying, spraying preventatively without even knowing if the disease is present. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a waste of resources. Yeah, I give, you know, the example that I give is um, when I was a kid, if you had a sore throat, you'd go to the doctor and they'd be like, oh, take a look at there's something wrong here take an um, antibiotic. You go home, you take the antibiotic. Nowadays, as we all know, there's no way your doctor will do a throat swab and make sure that you actually have a bacterial infection and then give you the antibiotic, right? And that's because you shouldn't obviously be taking pharmaceuticals that you don't need, but also the diseases have become resistant to antibiotics. And so there's a real push in healthcare, obviously, to conserve the use of antibiotics so the diseases it can slow down that resistance. That's another thing that the uses of Spornado is doing. You know, uh, we are that swab test and diagnosing the disease before you spray, because right now they're just spraying. It's like it used to be with humans and antibiotics. And unfortunately, they're seeing the same thing that we've seen is they're seeing that the fungal pathogens are becoming resistant to the pesticides because of overuse and unnecessary use. If you use a pesticide when the disease isn't there, then that's when you have issues with resistance. Makes total sense to me from, you know, especially using the analogy of, of the medical field. Uh, also, just thinking about technology, the, the more that we learn and the more specialized and focused that we can get, the more efficient we can be, which is exactly what you guys are looking to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So you mentioned globally, you're a Canadian born company. Um, I did see that there's some affiliation with a, a Japanese company as well. Is that correct? They've, they've invested in you guys, which yeah. that, that sounds really exciting to me. Like I'm looking at that going, wow, this is not just a, a little Canadian company. You guys have tested Spornado across Canada uh, and, and you're looking to take this thing globally. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We're across Canada in the U.S., we have samplers in the UK, in France this year. As you mentioned, we are honored to have Musashi as an investor in Spornado and helping us expand to Japan. 
so yeah, exciting times. It's, it's, it's a global problem, right? Uh, farmers use these chemicals worldwide. It's a huge expense. As I'm sure you've heard in the news, the price of chemicals, in particular right now, fertilizers due to the war in Ukraine are skyrocketing. So chemicals are a huge issues with farmers globally. And it's important that their use are optimized to control costs. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed when you go to the grocery store, our food costs are rising. Yeah, everything is rising. And it's interesting because one of the things that we've been looking at a lot lately is the car industry and making moves to hybrids and electric vehicles. And, you know, it seems like we're heading into this very interesting phase, Christine, where uh, we're, we're trying to take the information that we have and use it to better our society and the planet as well. And I know that sounds like a catch-all statement, but really, you know, going like, having something like Spornado to be able to, you know, f- find out and, and isolate out where you want to be using pesticides, protecting crops, less loss, it's going to translate on to your savings at the, um, you know, at the cash registers, just like electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles and, and so on. So it's very interesting. The, the idea of being global makes me wonder, like the different environments and the different climates across the world, does that cause Spornado or the assessments to be treated any differently or is it the exact same process? Well, fungi definitely likes moist environments and they definitely proliferate when there's a lot of moisture. So in climates and areas with more moisture, you'll have more fungal disease. Are you getting to that stage where people are reaching out to you and saying, Hey, We've heard this thing that you're doing over here. Like, we want this. Get this over here. Yeah, yeah. Weekly, we we get contacts from all over the world, all different crops. So as you mentioned earlier, you know, we got our start in potato, expanded in tomato. We also have commercial sales in wheat and canola for the last several years across um, North America. But, you know, we're always getting calls like, okay, uh, I want to try it in... Uh, a blueberry now, you know, or I want I I'm doing research. I want to try it in beans. Uh, we did our first um, trials in soy last year and corn in the U.S. So, yes, not only do we get requests globally, we get requests for all sorts of diseases and all sorts of crops. How are you finding the Fourier into different things like Blue, well, not blueberries, but the, you know, uh, corn and different crops like that. Are you guys finding that it's proving to be similar to the potatoes and tomatoes? Or is there adjustments that you guys have to be making to your tech? There's no adjustments needed for the tech. That's the nice thing. It's the same. It's a wind-powered air sampler. Um, and it has a disposable cassette that goes in. It captures the fungi. And then that cassette is um, sent to a lab and analyzed um, DNA analysis, looking for the pathogens you're concerned about. So all we have to do is change that test in the lab. So that's great. We can have, we can enter into a new crop and detect the disease within, you know, a couple of months, we can have that developed. But what really the key component is, is that data going to be useful for the farmer? Is it going to be actionable? Uh, the disease like late blight, it's a simple answer. Yes or no. Is the disease there? I'm out spraying. With a disease like in corn, some of the diseases that are there all season, 
you can still harvest your crop if it has the disease, you might have a lower yield. Is it going to change your actions? Because while we can detect any disease in the air, really our prime goal is to allow farmers to use their pesticides more effectively. If that information isn't going to change how they use the pesticides, it's probably not the right crop and disease for Spornado. How often do you guys test the DNA samples and come up with things that you've never seen before or un, are unactionable? Like, how does that work? Is, is there like a chart of, of certain things that you're looking for? I'm curious about that process. Well, so when we enter into a new crop, what we like to look at is how serious of a disease is it? So, you know, how much does it cost farmers? How frequently do the farmers spray? So if the farmers are only spraying once a year for the disease, paying to have a test to know if it's there or not, the ROI might not be there if you're only spraying once, you know? Other diseases, you're spraying every week. They are on like a seven to 10 day schedule in grapes for a few diseases. Hey, if you can skip one or two a year, that's huge. You know, so that's kind of the first thing we look at is what's the severity of the disease for the farmers and what is their current pesticide use practice? And then we look at, do we think we can improve upon that? It still blows my mind. I mean, I know we started this conversation with, you know, being amazed that this system hadn't been readily available and widely available. And it's so interesting because in a day and age where we think we've got it all, we've got it all figured out and all the tech that is there and all the testing is there, something, I don't want to call this simple because I don't know what the heck it is, but something as seemingly, you know, common sense as this system wasn't there for farmers. And, and that's amazing to me. Any, any ideas as to how this went so long without being an actual thing? I think a, a large component is because um, the technology in terms of the lab analysis up until probably maybe five to 10 years ago was just too expensive. So I think I touched on it earlier. We do DNA analysis on the samples. Up until five to 10 years ago, that was a very, very expensive test. Uh, the equipment used was, you know, $100,000. Now it's 10000 or less. You can get little, you know, portable units for a couple of grand. So the, the, the industry, the lab industry that works behind the scenes for us has changed drastically. And the prices have come down to a point that it's economical. Is that the power of the company in the lab that you're working with? Or is that just the natural progression of technology similar to VCRs being $1,000 and then, well, nobody uses them anymore, but at one point in time, they were like 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much the VCR analogy. You know, every lab now has them. University labs, uh, commercial labs, they have DNA analysis. With the pandemic, innovation in this area has again just leaped ahead, you know, to, to get quicker results, less expensive, point of care. So, you know, portable units, that innovation again has just leapfrogged the last couple of years. And these are things that we are incorporating into our system as well. So it almost seems like the the more the need the more desperate the situation obviously covid being a massive example i i think covid has 
accelerated so many different areas of our life. Um, technology seems to be one of them uh, where, where it's just accelerating it that much more. It's, an, it's interesting to me, though, there seems to have been this comfort zone. And, and I don't know, I, I say that, you know, unknowingly, but a comfort zone that we slipped into with crops, something that we all rely on, but it's almost an acceptable loss uh, until the technology can and affordability can catch up to it. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's, it's really twofold. You had the tech becoming cheaper so the farmers could use it. And at the same time, their inputs have been raising. You know, the cost of the chemicals have been skyrocketing, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, the resistance to disease to the chemicals, that's been increasing. And then one other thing that we haven't touched on is regulations have also been increasing, uh, especially in Europe. The amount of chemicals you can use a year has been decreasing. The list of chemicals shrinks regularly as we discover that they are too toxic for our environment. So um, yeah, these things have all kind of converged that it makes sense now for the bottom line and most importantly to me for our environment to start using these chemicals more effectively. Such an interesting crossroads. I mean, I know a lot of people like to focus on the, the state of the world today. And I think the state of the world today is like it is for every generation. They think it's the worst that it's ever been. And I'm not saying that where we are right now is ideal, but in a lot of ways, the, this awakenings that we seem to be having about the environment, about how to treat people, about disease and how this really affects everybody. There's nobody that is is exempt from these things really forces change, doesn't it? It absolutely does. So one of the things that we talked about before was this idea of a startup. We get this amazing idea. You get this amazing idea. Um, you decide that this is the route you want to go. First of all, it's called Spornado. And, and I, I think it's an amazing name. I don't really know why I think it's an amazing name, but from a marketing perspective, I think it's cool. What, what is this? Who, who came up with this idea? Um, where, did this, where did this name come from? I don't know who it was that came up with it, but I think it was one of those days or nights that you're sitting around having pizza and maybe a beer and throwing out names. And I have to admit, it was when that whole Sharknado meme was going around and uh, we came up with Spornado. That's amazing. I, I didn't want to say it. I, I never want to assume, but that's exactly the first thing that I thought. <laughs> so I'm glad that that works. You know, listen, it doesn't all have to be a bunch of super intelligent individuals sitting around and crunching the numbers as to, you know, what the best thing is. Sometimes that is the best way, just getting together and tossing out some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> now, what we were talking about with a startup is you've got the product, okay? You've got, you've identified a need, you've come up with a name, um, but you, you've now decided to do this startup thing, which is another realm altogether. And when we were having our pre-chat, you had said to me, Whew, startups, man, there's a lot of things there that people don't consider, or a lot of things that kind of uh, jumped out to you, and your eyes are widening right now. So I want to pick your brain as a CEO of a startup is what, what is it like to have a startup? And you, you guys started this back, is it 2017? 2017. Mm -hmm, yeah. So it's been a few years now. Um, what's it like? Oh, it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> um, 
to be honest, I didn't know what a startup was until I got a little addicted to another podcast. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't, because t- traditionally, you know, startups were more the tech world. I didn't know anything about it. And then I got listening to a podcast and I'm like, oh, wait a second. Tech, highly innovative, could be used anywhere, you know, so we could scale globally huge market. Um, oh, geez, you know what? I think I have a startup. <laughs> so yeah. So, thank you. Podcasts. Um, see, what you can learn. <laughs> see, they're not, they're not bad. Pretty good source of information. <laughs> so from there, I, you know, to be honest, I'm just did some Googling and I realized, wow, there is this whole startup world and there's a whole subset of startups that are ag tech. And there's amazing support for them. And that's where we just kind of jumped on the train and got involved with our first accelerator, where we actually then figured out, okay, what is a startup? What does it take to have a startup? What are the steps? And, you know, got support from them and we're off to the races. Wow. So what is the first step then after you identify that you have a startup on your hands, which it seems it's a very cool and a very honest answer because you, I hear startups all the time, but I don't know what qualifies as a startup. So once you do identify that, what is your first steps as a startup? We really found, we did really, really find it helpful to be involved with an accelerator. You know, they provide mentoring, they provide information, they very, very importantly, they provide connections. So that's really, really key. We did, we were involved with the Thrive Accelerator based in Silicon Valley. We went out and did a one week boot camp and got, you know, everything startup 101 thrown at you. And importantly, we, again, we, we got the connections. So not just to investors, which is a huge piece of the startup game, but also to the users, you know, to the industry. So I think that was a very, very important first step for us. It must be an eye-opener to to realize that there's people that are in this together and not necessarily just vying for position. Yeah, yeah, that helps a lot. That does help a lot. That's so cool. I like that because, you know, in this day and age where everyone is trying to grasp at their piece of the pie, uh, there is a collaborative effort and it's it's not all money motivated. I think sometimes even when you have a smaller select group, which... I don't know how big your how big is your specific industry like ag tech itself. It's massive, and the amount of investment in ag tech startups has you know multiplied tenfold in the last several years. Um, it's there's a lot of attention to it right now. Uh, there's a lot of attention to global food security in general. So uh, yeah, it's a rapidly growing area. The thing I always think about is. We have 24 hours in a day. And as you said earlier, hopefully you're sleeping, you know, seven, eight hours, whatever is recommended. You're not just the CEO. You have other things going on as well, uh, as well as, you know, personal things too. How do you find the time in the day to do all of this and, and, and still continue to actively grow this startup? Yeah, that's the challenge, you know, personal life aside, um, just the business life, it's um, sometimes it, it feels very paradoxical that I have two different entities. There's Spornado, you know, that we're out, we're selling to farmers, we're working with researchers, etc. 
there's that part of it, but then there's the startup part, you know? So as the CEO, that part is looking for collaborations with other companies, looking for investment, dealing in with the investors that do invest in your company. So there's that whole separate entity that's the startup aside from the operational company. And you have to try to balance both. Um, yeah, so that that's the challenge. And they're extremely different. And they both require very different uh, types of attention. <laughs> yeah, we, when we were having our, our chat before offline, uh, I was using this analogy of, you know, uh, a startup, I was actually talking about the show Expanse, and how I was noticing that one of the characters who was a rebel was now leading a massive army and in control. And he seemed to be very uncomfortable with that. Uh, you know, the responsibilities of accounting and bookkeeping and, you know, morale and all that. And that's kind of similar to what you're talking about, isn't it? Having to wear these different hats. Yeah, absolutely. When one moment you'll be doing that and the next moment I'll be pitching to an investor, you know, telling them that, you know, we can be a hundred million dollar company and here's our projections. And uh, yeah, so you're, you're doing both and they're very different <laughs> What has been surprising to you in doing all of the different components of a startup that you really like and really thrive in, you feel? I really do love the pitching. I really love expanding the network, you know, to collaborators, to potential partners. Yeah, I was surprised. I really love talking about our company and the potential of our company. Of course. Um, Right now, is it just the three of you that are listed on the site that, that are the main individuals that, that are working and growing Spornado? Um, There's a couple others. Yep. But yeah, we're still a small team. We're still five people. Yeah. And with the startup world, speed is really the underlying driver. The, the point of, of taking an investment from outside investors is to get the funds to grow quickly. So, and grow the team. So that's kind of our next real push is growing the team. Growing the team. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No. And especially if you want to be a hundred million dollars and plus company, you're not going to be able to do that on your own. That's, that's, uh, that's too much for any individuals to undertake. What would your advice be then? Just personal advice. I, I know that you're not running a boot camp here. This isn't uh, <laughs> startups 101, but what would be some of the things that, uh, that kind of, hit you a lot harder than you anticipated that you would think, yeah, these people should know this is what they're in for. There's a lot of ups and downs and obviously the ups get you through the downs, but you know what? Like any job, there's also mundane times. There's also the boring work that you still have to do and the mundane work. And I think when you start, you know, you, you start getting accustomed to the up and down, up and down in depending on your personality, like me, you kind of thrive on that. Uh, you can't forget that, you know what, there's still the grind of getting a job done and doing, you know, the work that has to be done. So that's one thing for sure. That's cool. It's, it is interesting, right? I think we seem to have this idea in our head that we're going to find the one thing that we love to do, do it continually. And it's just going to be roses and nothing is going to ever upset us. And we're always going to have an amazing day. It's not really the way life works though, is it? No, and definitely not in the startup world. You have to be accustomed to most of the time, you're not going to be knowing what the heck you're doing. <laughs> you don't have to be used to that. 
I mean, maybe if, you know, by the time you hit your third startup, you're going to know, but yeah, you just, you have to be comfortable with not knowing you have to be humble in not knowing and learn from other people. That would be the second really big take home is, uh, you know, we described all these hats. Obviously, one person isn't going to be good at all these different things. So you need to find the mentorship and find the help and be teachable. I think that's key to being a successful um, founder. Absolutely. I like it because I, my, my personal belief is that if you want to be successful in anything that you're doing, trying to do it alone is impossible. Yeah. Like you're just not going to be able to thrive in that in that environment. But speaking of thriving, you said that you want to continue to grow. You're doing all this pitching. You have an idea in mind, obviously, as to where you want to take this company. What are the next two, three steps for you that you see? I know you said uh, you wanted to build the group, you, but what are the things that you guys are looking at in the near term? And then where do you want this to be long term? Yeah, so this in is the where you get a chance term, to use your pitching, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the near term, um, we want to drive sales in the crops that we have experience and are commercialized in. So the wheat, tomato, potato, canola, those crops. And we want to continue our trials in other crops. Grapes, strawberry, apple, blueberry. These are all crops that we have one or two years of trials, soy, corn. So we want to expand that. And then finally, in terms of expansion, then what we touched on earlier is global expansion, because, you know, these are simple, inexpensive. They're just air powered air samplers. Uh, We want them across the world in every farmer's fields. It'd be amazing. I saw that little flag on your website, you know, a spornado hanging off the the blowhorn. And yeah, to see that in every field, is there... Is there a, an area right now that you have identified or that you are aware of in the world that I don't want to say that is in desperate need, but is really hurting in their crops other than the areas that you've already mentioned? Europe is the important target for us. Definitely. Uh, they have very strict regulations on pesticide use. Um, the farmers are being limited uh, regularly on um, their pesticide use. So that is a a key area for growth for us. It must be a golden opportunity for you then to take a look and not that you want to see restrictions and you want to see people hurting, but every time that there's a restriction, that's another little bit of an opening for you guys, isn't it? It is, you know, it's just one more driver, you know, for um, the farmer, you know, and to make the technology um, make sense financially. Speaking of the tech, is there areas in the tech that you guys are looking to improve upon? I know that you said that you have the disks, you send those back to the lab, you get the DNA samples. Uh, you had mentioned earlier your coffee mug and it has an app just like everybody does. How do apps and technology start to, to weigh in on uh, Spornado and, and its functionality? Yeah, so we, we jokingly call this Spornado 1.0. We are doing R&D on a automated units. So one that the lab component won't be necessary. And the nice thing is it will obviously be a more expensive tech initially, but we really feel that there's going to be a market for both, you know, either depending on the crop or depending on the part of the world. But definitely a huge driver of ours is doing our Spornado 2.0 you know, not to give too much away yet because it's still in R and D, but that will give you results in the field. That's, that's amazing. 
I mean, I, I have only a vested interest in this as far as I want to, I want to feed on this food and I mm-hmm. want to make sure that my, my costs are kept down. So, I mean, it's really cool to hear that you guys have something and that you're looking to continue to grow it. Let's wrap up on this. Is there anything else at this point in time that you want people to be aware of the, the need for this and how, you know, we should be talking a little bit more about this, in my opinion. I mean, that's my passion. My driver behind this is the sustainability piece. Um, like you, I really like eating food. I want to be able to afford to eat my food. Um, I want to eat healthy foods, you know. Uh, one thing that I didn't mention that uh, because we can target the use and cut down use, it also can make some of the biologicals. So the, you know, non-chemical approaches that are very expensive right now, it can make it more feasible. So that's exciting as well. So really, again, that fits into the sustainability part. We want to help farmers grow the food that we need more sustainably. I would rather leave it in the hands of people who have been doing it for thousands of years, as opposed to growing everything in a lab. Um, (laughs) And I don't hate on lab and I don't hate on science, but there's something about a potato that's a potato it makes me feel like I'm actually eating the things that I should be. And I think we will be eating them from the field for many more years. I love it. Uh, I mean, I really appreciate, especially wearing all these hats. I really appreciate you sitting down with me, just, just an average person trying to understand a little bit more about what's actually happening outside of these walls. Uh, because I think what you guys are doing is unbelievably important. And, you know, I love the fact we got a, a little Canadian startup that's not so little anymore. Hopefully, yes. Thank you very much for your time, Christine. Um, Keep doing amazing work out there. And I'm very interested to hear what uh, Spornado 2.0 looks like. Thank you. Thank you very much.